This week's episode is sponsored by Jagged Edge Productions and ITN Studios' Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey 2. Only in theaters, March 26th to March 28th. The suspenseful and thrilling sequel to last year's immense hit, Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey, amplifies the gore factor with ten times the number of kills to put fans both new and old at the edge of their seats. After Christopher Robin reveals their existence, Winnie the Pooh, Piglet, Tigger, and Owl land on the endangered species list as hard targets. Unwilling to hide in the shadows, the ultimate scream team embarks on a murderous rampage through the town of Ashdown to get their revenge on Christopher Robin, once and for all. So don't miss out, and mark your calendars to catch the limited engagement of Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey 2, only in theaters March 26th to March 28th. Tickets are available now. This is the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network. <laughs> One, two, Freddy's on the boot crew. Three, four, talking horror and gore. Five, six, get your boot crew fixed. Boils and ghouls, lock your doors and strap yourselves in. From Los Angeles, California, Bloody Disgusting presents the Boo Crew Podcast. Horror news, commentary, reviews, interviews, and more. With your hosts, Lauren and Trevor Shand and Leone D'Antonio. Hello there, my name is Trevor, and on behalf of myself, Lauren and Leo, welcome to the Boo Crew Podcast, episode 329 on the program this week. Returning guest to the show, the legendary Robert Englund. Take a journey into the upside down as he tells you about bringing Victor Creel to life on Stranger Things Season 4. Hear about his love of the series, his first time meeting Millie Bobby Brown, the Easter eggs, and a whole bunch more. We're also going to revisit the creation of the Freddy's Nightmare TV series, now available on Screenbox, powered by, run, and curated by the Bloody Disgusting team. A terrific anthology show that has starred everyone from Brad Pitt to the Bad Seeds, Patty McCormick, and a flashback to a memory from the original Nightmare when Johnny Depp once donned Freddy's iconic makeup on set. Grab yourself some scoops ahoy and a slice of Surfer Boy pizza. Episode 329 is now slaying. Hello, Robert England here, and you're getting <laughs> spooky with the Boo Crew. It's time. Don't try to be heroes. There is no shame in running. What do you think, Mike? It's risky as hell. Chances of success are 20 to 1. Never tell me the odds. Bitchin', right? Yeah, yeah, bitchin'. We're a team. Friends. Well, it's gonna be up to us again. Go ahead, scream. That's all we need. Another victim crawls onto the gurney for a 
Boo Crew Autopsy. Joining Bloody Disgusting's Boo Crew via the Speakeasy Studio is an astounding storyteller who has created the most unforgettable characters in cinema. A classically trained actor who brought the plays of Shakespeare to life on theater stages before building a legacy of film work of stunning variety and significance. Early on, there was Toby Hooper's Eaten Alive and the Oscar-winning A Star is Born, the John Milius surf classic Big Wednesday. His versatility quickly made him a part of the greatest television shows of all time before he even celebrated his first 10 years professionally. Among them, the Emmy-winning Soap, Charlie's Angels, Knight Rider Chips, Night Court. Then came his stint as Willie and V before building the most cherished and feared icon ever committed to celluloid with Freddy Krueger. There has never been a character more powerful and effective. Our guests' nuanced choices from the voice to the body language, the unique fusion of drama, terror, and comedy gave rise to nine films and counting, albums, a TV series, video games, and more while changing pop culture forever and giving us our greatest monster. The actor behind it all has gone on to almost 200 projects, voicing Emmy-winning animation, hosting, having characters written specifically for him to take on. He stepped into the director's chair and through it all, continues to surprise and inspire endlessly with his unprecedented talent, charisma, and calculated vision that has earned him countless awards in a place in the very heart of Hollywood history and Americana. His latest comes in the form of the fourth season of Netflix's Stranger Things, the most watched season of TV ever reported in a single week, hitting the top 10 list in 91 countries, a first for any English language show ever made. We are honored to welcome back the esteemed Robert England. Yeah! Yeah! With an introduction like that, you know, it's so amazing, you guys, as you were mentioning some ancient TV guest stars where I was working my way up from bad guy number three to bad guy number one on ship. And I haven't seen a dime from those shows for like 25 years. But now with all the retro channels, yes, streaming and me TV and the TV guide channel, I get these like, you know, I get a check for a police story or police dog or police woman or police cousin for $9.95. Enough to buy me one glass of white wine. (laughs) Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. So, so again, thank you for taking the time. Congrats on Stranger Things, another unforgettable character. So tell us first about your discovery of the Duffer Brothers masterpiece. What is it about their brand of storytelling that makes it hit so different than anything else that's out there? Well, yeah, I, first of all, I'm, I'm a fan and I was a fan before I was uh, before I got the role on Stranger Things. Um, it's I think I keyed into Millie Bobby Brown first. And uh, shortly after that, I met her at a convention. And I didn't know she was English. And uh, I told her mother and I told Millie what a great gift she had just in silence Mm. on camera and how she listened so well and how that's really the earmark of a real star. And then, of course, she responded in her lilting, lovely English accent. It was like talking to a teenage Julie Andrews. you know. <laughs> and uh, I was like, whoa. And I think I recommended I had just been in London and I had seen this uh, independent sci fi film with Scarlett Johansson. Help me out now where she's the alien and and she eats men she kills them and we saw that men we saw that i can't remember the name of it i don't know why it escapes me it's a great down and dirty film and uh 
and 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 scarlet has a similar effect to the effect that they used on stranger things with that liquid black glass floor Mm -hmm. that she walks on like millie bobby brown does in uh in season one of stranger things and of course i said you've got to see it because i think that's the source material for the effect on stranger things and oh you're gonna love it and then i walked away to to visit with my fans uh, and I realized, oh, my God, I, I just told a 12-year-old girl to watch a scene with full frontal nudity. It started showing. What a mistake. But, but ever since then, you know, uh, I, I, I run into Millie at conventions and she was very welcoming uh, when I guest starred on her show. Uh, but that's what keyed me on to Stranger Things. And then I fell in love with David Harbour. I've always had a crush on Winona Ryder, like all of us, mm-hmm. and uh, including Johnny Depp. Uh, but uh, I, I and I and I really was amazed at how they wove together all of these seemingly disparate themes and uh, uh, homages and elements of of eighties nostalgia and science fiction and horror and and teen angst you know there's always been a little bit of of uh, of et and a little bit of goonies in there as well as you know countless other things you know uh that they're always echoing and doing this self-referential stuff to the 80s mm-hmm. uh, little easter eggs everywhere all the way through uh including my season uh, which echoes, uh, among other things, Amityville Horror and Nightmare on Elm Street, obviously, and 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 many others. But uh, I, you know, was a fan of David Harbour, crush on Winona Ryder, fan of Millie, and then for my research, I watched season three twice. Uh, I binged it once, and then I I remember getting hung up with one of the finale episodes of season three. There was just some exquisite acting in a scene and it's post psychedelic dosing by the Russians mm-hmm. and Maya Hawk and uh, uh, gosh, uh, uh, Joe Keeley, uh, Robin and Steven are exhausted and coming down off of whatever the Russians gave them. And they're in this soiled, awful mall bathroom. And all hell has just broken loose. And they're in there leaning up against the dirty wall, you know, in the stalls, you know, the urinals are somewhere adjacent. And they have the most remarkable, sweet scene in the middle of all this chaos between them. And the acting is so on point. And and he finally realizes, you know, her attraction for him, you know, chips ahoy and all of that. And he responds to it. And she, of course, is beyond that now. She's, you know, uh, coming out. And uh, it's just remarkable acting. I remember seeing uh, Joe pull himself under one of the stalls. And it reminded me, and this is so different, but it reminded me of that great scene in East of Eden with James Dean Mm. and Julie Harris on the top of the Ferris wheel when the Ferris wheel gets stuck. It's just so full of pauses and revelatory moments and and the acting is so high so but the second time i saw that on my re-binge of season three of stranger things i realized i had to really up my game and not only that but i was a little panicked because you know the 
eyes are the windows of the soul. Yeah. And I was going to be working without eyes. Right. Which meant I had, and also I had the challenge of matching my on-camera storytelling as Victor Creel with uh, the off-camera narration that links to my dialogue of what happened at my home when I was a young man. And uh, so there were all those kind of challenges. And and thank God I had, you know, uh, Barry Gower and uh, 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 and Duncan, Duncan Jarman from Game of Thrones and a million other great projects to do my makeup because that really relaxed me. You know, I figured if they anybody that created the Night King can do anything anything they want with this person. (laughs) I'm curious when when you got out of that makeup chair and your vision was was changed right in, in becoming Victor. Was there anything that came out of you that you weren't quite prepared for without having the makeup on? Was there things about your performance that kind of even surprised you once you were able to feel and see what this character actually saw? Well, I was virtually blind. Right. Uh, I had a pinhole that kind of worked in one eye, um, kind of hidden in the makeup in case I needed it because you can get very claustrophobic. But one of the great gifts of the makeup was because I am blind is I didn't have to act blind. Right. I mean, I couldn't see anything anyway. I would you know, bump the camera on some rehearsals and things. But I also figured out and I, I, I had family uh, that 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 were blind. And I realized that their environs they know very well. They know, they know it, um, they, where they live. And I figured that, you know, Victor's been in this cell for a long, long time. He knows where everything is. You know, he knows the distance from his desk to the bars, to the bed. Uh, so I didn't have to act that. I didn't have to, you know, feel around or, or tap a cane or do any of those cliches. Um, uh, and I, I, I played a little bit of the posture, of the head back a little bit. Um, I, I, that's something that I had, had, had observed. And I've observed that also with people back in the day with the early contact lenses. And it's a, it's a weight on the eyes that people kind of respond to physically. But, you know, no, um, I, I think my only worry was when are they going, when is the camera going to be on? Now the script had it, demarcated but i wasn't sure and uh uh someone in the office at stranger things had told me they're going to shoot everything of me even the parts that are off camera uh the visualizations of the story that i tell and so i learned it all and uh i i think my director sean levy was a little worried because it took so much time to shoot me and he knew he was going to be off me. And I think on the second day, I told him in the morning, I said, Sean, I've always understood that you're going to be off me on all the stuff you've shot of the of the story that I'm telling. But uh, so don't, you know, skip to the chase whenever you want to, you know. And uh, I, I said, I said, they, they told me the front office told me that you were going to cover everything. And that's why I learned everything, but, you know, feel free to rush through some of these parts that you're not going to be on me. Cause I, it's just not going to hurt my feelings. And it actually makes my job as an actor easier. My only concern though, was cutting away from me talking in the cell to, uh, uh, to, to Robin and to Nancy, mm-hmm. 
uh, Maya Hawk and, uh, and Natalia cutting away from me to the narration, sometimes the same sentence. I wanted that emotion to carry over mm-hmm. on the other side. Yeah. And sometimes when you go in for just a narration day, I start sounding like you, my my late night jazz voice. John Bolton, my favorite thing, you know. And, <laughs> so I wanted to kind of, I didn't want to make that mistake. Right. So we yeah. kind of did when we did some uh, pickup narration. We we I kept in character, you know, to kind of keep that emotion flowing on both sides on on the coverage of me in the cell and on the on the other side of the story, the actual story, the visualization. So that was the biggest challenge for me. I felt very comfortable, you know, with Barry and Duncan, you know, uh, those guys are such masters, such, such gifted artists that uh, I knew I was going to look cool. And I'd seen the makeup. Uh, They came to my hotel room in London and we did a test. Oh, wow. And uh, before this is way, but then COVID hit. And my shooting was postponed. So I had seen what I was going to look like. And I got to live with that for several oh, months. That's, that's my mind's eye yeah. prior to, uh, you know, jumping on a plane to Atlanta and shooting it in when COVID started to go away. The Boo Crew will be right back. Watch out for him. It started to happen again. Dad! I'm in trouble. You've had some scary dreams, okay? Help! Daddy can't help you now. Freddy is back on Elm Street, and he's not a welcome visitor. A Nightmare on Elm Street, Part 2, Freddy's Revenge, rated R from New Line Cinema. Now showing at a theater near you. The scene in the cell with Maya and Natalia, where, where you are recalling the Vecna demon encounter and then the atrocities of war. Did you get to improvise any parts of this scene? Were there any alternate takes, uh, perhaps a fun version in Freddie's voice? <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, I have to tell you, um, I, you know, not, I don't know about everybody else, but I had only seen uh, episode four uh, and I guessed a little bit. Spoiler alert, I guessed a little bit about my son uh, because of the writing, but the rhythms were so lovely in the writing there. He there the way he speaks, uh, you know, uh, uh, I assure you, I am still very much in hell. Uh, there's a rhythm to the way he speaks. And you know, I didn't want to violate that. Yeah. And so there was I, I didn't improvise at all. And I like to do heads and tails improv sometimes on a scene a little bit of before and a little bit of after and sometimes a a phrase or a line of dialogue doesn't really fit in the mouth of the character uh and and when you're on a long run on a series or uh, you're in a franchise you sort of have a sixth sense no pun intended to what's correct and what's not uh what sounds like your character and what doesn't or colloquialism or vernacular but with that part i just wanted to live up to the rhythms there were rhythms there from the writer and i i sort of wanted to respect that i'm i'm american trained but i'm also english trained and one of the elements of english training is to really serve the writer that the writer is god uh whereas in america we serve ourselves the actor a little more 
Um, and I blend both of those techniques when I work, but I can't get that out of my mind. Lots of times when you're having a problem acting, you can see what some other character says about you. And that might be the key. Some other character will will describe you. Now, they have an agenda, obviously, but you can kind of use that as a key into what your character might be like or the way he behaves. Did you get to keep uh, any of your costume or the makeup appliances? No, I didn't. You know, uh, a couple of days in that makeup and you never want to see it again. <laughs> uh, there's a, a book out. I think there's a book, uh, Never Sleep Again, a cocktail book. And there's a terrific documentary. Heather Langenkamp uh, was involved in that, who played Nancy, another Nancy. Uh, I'm surrounded by Nancy's. My wife sitting next to me. She is a Nancy. Freudian implications of Nancy, but, but Heather Langenkamp <laughs> from A Nightmare on Elm Street produced a great documentary and an accompanying uh, coffee table book called Never Sleep Again. It's really great. And chased down Polaroids and home movies and all interviews with everybody. But there's pictures in that of a late night shoot and Johnny Depp was involved and he's wearing Glenn's his character, Glenn's uh, Letterman jacket, Johnny Depp in a Letterman jacket from Nightmare One. And he literally I think he'd had a beer or two. And Johnny picked up the scraps of my makeup because oh, I was rushing off for last call somewhere on Sunset Boulevard that night. I, you know, the old Irish pub, the cat and the fiddle, I think. And uh, Johnny had pieced together the Freddie makeup on him wearing the Letterman jacket. And I think there's a Polaroid of that in the coffee table book. Now ever sleep again but that's like i leave the scraps of my makeup to others <laughs> <laughs> we had we had a listener question yeah. from uh david alethea who asked after watching stranger things 4 there seems to be a lot of talk with the fans that this season has a lot of similar themes to the elm street films how does that feel to be a part of another iconic horror series that is influenced by those elements from your past well you know stranger things we could play. There could be a trivia game. Yeah. We could have a game on Bloody Disgusting. We could do a, a trivia game where we just watch 10 minutes of Stranger Things from season one all the way through season four and just pick out references, you know, here and there to and echoes yeah. that the Duffer brothers have hidden in there, little Easter eggs. And some of them are more obvious than others. But, you know, uh, the, the bicycles you know, mm -hmm. reference something, the bikes the kids ride on and things like that. But there's images and there and, and just the brightness of the of the suburban kitchen and what, you know, where we've seen those suburban kitchens before in, in, in movies or like I was saying earlier, Amityville in season four. But in there is um, some callbacks to, to Nightmare on Elm Street in part four. And that was and, and, it, and, and interestingly enough, it's not me. I'm uh, I'm an in joke, I think, in casting. Right. And I don't want to call it stunt casting because I want to think that I earned that role. But um, it's all. But there is some 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 references there. There is a nightmare, you know, with Sam's character. And there is. But I always think that uh, uh, the world beneath in Stranger Things, for me, it has that great Salvador Dali. Yes. Surrealism to it that I respond to, like Giger yeah. 
is the frame of reference for the alien films. I think that there is a Salvador Dali-esque thing. I would like to have a couple of cocktails with the production designer and ask him if I'm right about that. But it seems to be that dark surrealism. And I remember even as a kid seeing some uh, Salvador Dali stuff that spooked me. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. With the, like the melting clocks and all of yes, that motif. Yeah. So yeah, flying tights. Yeah, it's all of that. So stuff. great. Yeah. So recently, another show that you were involved in, all forty-four episodes of Freddy's Nightmares, has finally been unearthed through uh, Screenbox, a streaming platform. What could you tell us just a bit about the development of uh, of that series? What you recall about that time in your life? Well, you know, Freddy's Nightmares. They convinced me to do it, not for the money, but I got my DGA card, my Director's Guild of America card. So I directed some of those episodes. Um, But it was also an opportunity for the I believe it was the Nightmare. I'm not sure if it was three or fourth, maybe the Nightmare Forecast to go right into that series. And we were exhausted. Renny Harlan had beat us up on Nightmare 4, but. A lot of that crew was the crew that had begun with us back on Nightmare, excuse me, one or two. Oh, wow. And this would have that that new line is very loyal that way with their with their crews. And it was a way for that crew, some of that crew, at least to move over to the TV series and back to back. That would have been a really nice money gig. Sure. You know, they would have been able to buy a new car or start a family or, or get their first house because it would have been a solid year of work because yep. uh, they all work in pre-production more than us, uh, us actors, we actors. But uh, I was lured in. Uh, there was really talented people involved and I was lured in because I, the promise of directing some of the episodes. The problem was they kept they, that we were supposed to be on at 1130 or 12 o'clock at night. This late night show where we could get away with murder, literally. You know, uh, <laughs> right. Freddy, and and we could be dark and nasty and funny because everybody was embracing Freddie for his his dark sense of humor then. And yet when we were syndicated in in the Bible Belt, for instance, they had us on at four thirty in the afternoon wow. or something. Wow. Not a good idea. <laughs> right. uh, and uh, we got in trouble and we lost sponsors and they lowered the the uh, uh, I mean, and, you know, in some markets we were number one in the 1130 midnight of markets. Course. We were number one. But uh, we, we, we found the right audience and we were sort of ahead of our time. Uh, but we kept the budget kept going down. I think it was originally I was supposed to we were supposed to have 10 days and. 600,000 an episode or or 400,000 an episode or something like that. And very quickly, we were down to like I remember that we were down to like a five day shoot, you know, which is was hard for those shows. And the budget was cut way down. So it got to be as as it progressed, it got to be more and more difficult. But they're really amazing people directors and talent uh, in front of the camera that came through Marishka Hargate from special victims unit law and order mm-hmm. was on that show. She is my old Coles co-star from a series called downtown and Brad Pitt was on there, Laura Petty. But I remember one day coming in and I got to work with the original actor who did bye bye birdie, you know uh, you know, which when he was, and I got stories out of him, but there were just wonderful uh, guest stars on that show that I got to, you know, hang out with people that I liked and, and young directors, really gifted young directors that went on to do a lot more. My crew from nightmare four also, 
you know, they, they made some serious money because they worked around the clock for, for over a year. One of my favorite <laughs> actors on that was Patty McCormick. And I had read that when you were younger, you watched The Bad Seed, which is one of my favorite movies too young and then you were scared of little girls with pigtails and well, patty mccormick actually for a while dated a friend of mine peter jurassic oh no way uh, from babylon oh, no five and <laughs> i i i went to to see a matinee and at some point in the afternoon it became the evening fair at the movie theater and I went to see like some cowboy movie with Anthony Quinn. I think it was called The Man from Del Rio. We little kids. We like cowboy movies. And it was like a boy's birthday party. Right. Boys. Boys afternoon out. <laughs> and uh, we're all sitting there with our Chico's bonbons and our big box of popcorn and our good and plenty, you know, and we're, we're all we're all in there. And the bad seed comes on. And of course, it's just I mean, it, it opens with a little boy's hands on the edge of a pier and she's got her tap shoes taken off and he's won the penmanship award at summer camp and she's beating the back of his hands as he hangs on and he gets little half moon clue 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 he gets little half moon marks and those are the taps on the back of his hands and he goes under the water yeah you know and then she has that line and what will you give me for a a, a basket of kisses you know i'll give you a, 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 a bushel of hugs i can't remember yeah. And uh, and there's my favorite line is is Henry Jones, the great character actor, uh, one and I and I knew his, his his lovely daughter, wonderful actress Jocelyn Jones. But Henry Jones has that great line. He goes, "You know, Rhoda, we got ourselves a little blue electric chair for boys and a little pink electric chair for girls." Of course, where does he wind up in the boiler? <laughs> In the boiler room. Oh, yeah. Bad seat. I saw a satire, a spoof of that up in a theater in Hollywood, off off Hollywood, uh, right near uh, where the Amy Poehler comedy group used to used to appear. And I saw a production there where Rhoda was played by a six foot guy in drag. Oh, wow. Oh, and it was done. It was done camp. But really great camp, really well-timed, very neurotic and overwrought, almost like a comedy opera. It was just brilliant. And I can't believe they didn't take that show off Broadway. I think it would still be running. It was that good. But it was, you know, that show. So it's that obviously the bad seed has infected us all that yeah. we, we've yeah. encountered it you know oh definitely wow man well listen i know we're, we're taking a lot of your time just as we finish up here we got to ask i mean you've done it all you continue to expand and grow and do more as the years go on is there any character or type of performance that you're itching to get into that you haven't had the opportunity to play yet you know, I, I, I learned a while ago to go where I'm wanted now. Sure. You know, you just sleep better with that as my sort of uh, uh, code now. Um, <clears throat> I'm doing a lot of voiceover work, which is fun. Uh, I can show up in my pajamas. I found a lovely studio down here near where I live that I can go to that's first class. And I just did a thing uh, that you guys will love called Compendium of Horror, which Ooh. is going to be on, yeah, six hours nice. uh, for Halloween on uh, Epics. They accessed and I, I've accessed this before earlier in my career with an award show, excuse me, the Horror Hall of Fame. But the people at uh, Compendium of Horror 
access the Universal Archives, and they got amazing stuff. So it's the history of horror. Wow. And I get to narrate it. But uh, that's a treat coming out. Um, I mean, a couple of years ago, I would have said to you, I would have liked to have played Iago. I understudied Iago in Othello, but I, I and I got to work with a great actor playing Othello, uh, the late Roger Robinson, uh, Tony Award winning actor from uh, <clears throat> just terrific work. But uh, I never got to do it in front of an audience. So that would have been my answer um, maybe five, 10 years ago. I don't think I have the chops anymore, you know, to, to sustain a Shakespearean play, a role that big night after night. And they don't they don't do <clears throat> shows like that one night only. You right, know, I could right. do it. I could do it. I could do a one off, <laughs> but uh, I, I couldn't sustain a run. I don't think I'm just getting too old for that. Um, that's why. You know, and also film work spoils you for that. You know, sure. you're going for that that home run take. Anyway, that that would have been my answer to you a couple of years ago. But no, I just go where I want it now. You know, well, we we sure want you, man. And a happy belated birthday to you as well. Before we take off. Oh, thank you. Very, yes. very exciting. Yes. And Tell I the fans birthday. to look. Tell the fans to look for me in Natty Knox. Natty, like Natalie. Yeah. Uh, I'm reunited with my fan of the opera director, Dwight Little. Oh, fabulous. Yeah. Oh, nice. I, I, I think you'll really enjoy it. Wonderful cast. I also noticed that there are some amazing pieces at the prop store auction from Freddy versus Jason. One of your uh, when you get impaled. Oh, by, by your, your own, own arm. <laughs> yeah, they oh, uncovered yes, that yes. piece and it's coming up to auction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, that, yeah, I know. You got, when you move, you have to be careful when you move where the arm goes. <laughs> <laughs> that was the Boo Crew Podcast, episode 329. Special thanks to our guest, Robert Englund. At time of release, Stranger Things, season four, available now on Netflix, volume two, arrives July 1st. And check out Freddy's Nightmares on Screenbox, run and curated by the Bloody Disgusting team. Production tracks for this one provided by Powerman 5000. Till next time, this is Trump for the Boo Crew saying sweet screams. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Boo Crew Podcast. Haunt the Boo Crew at TalesFromTheBooCrew.com. Tales from the Boo Crew on Facebook and Instagram. Follow us on Twitter at TalesFromTheBoo. The Boo Crew is Lauren and Trevor Shand and Leone D'Antonio. The Boo Crew is produced by Lauren Shand. Chopped and sliced by Trevor Shand. The Boo Crew is a TSP creation. Part of the bloody disgusting Podcast Network. Bye. A bloody disgusting podcast network. Home of the Boo Crew. For horror-centric interviews. SCP archives. Weekly full cast storytelling. Horror queers. Genre commentary from an LGBTQ perspective. And creepy. For disturbing and terrifying creepy pastas. Listen free wherever you stream audio and at bloodydisgusting.com slash podcasts.